Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts in the 27th chapter, verses 27 through 44. Let's listen to God's word, but first let us pray. God, as we encounter your words today, keep us focused not on our needs, not on our concerns or our worries. Keep us focused on you. Keep us focused on that which you require of us. Keep us focused on the ways in which these are not just words written long ago. They are words that, in a way, are still speaking today. And so it is our prayer that we would hear them, and in hearing them, we would respond to them. Amen. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest 
or to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, I don't think it will shock you to confess, I am not a sailor. In fact, I'm shaky on terms like bow and stern. If you were to tell me that you left something on the starboard side of the ship, I'm just going to look around the whole ship. And if I'm honest, I do giggle a little at the term poop deck. I'm not a sailor, but, but I do have some experience with storms. I remember growing up in Georgia when powerful spring thunderstorms would roll in and my family would gather together in a windowless hallway on the ground floor of our basementless house. We would tune in to the National Weather Service radio, waiting for the all-clear signal, unsure of what was happening, having been deprived of all of our senses, save for the sound of intense wind and rain and thunder outside what was, on any other day, the security of a sturdy house, but which now seemed pitifully fragile in the face of nature. I've been caught on storms while on a bicycle, both as a kid and as an adult. One time in particular, I recall my family was visiting relatives in Atlanta. My brothers and one of my cousins, we decided that we would pedal our way up the steep roads of their mountainous neighborhood and we wanted to see the water tower, the radio towers that were at the top. And we failed to notice gathering clouds overhead. We didn't think anything of the light drizzle until we heard a dramatic change in pitch behind us. We turned to see a wall of water falling from the sky, which overtook us immediately. In a, in a panic, we rushed downhill directly into it, descending at breakneck speeds on our bikes while also discovering, well, that, that bike brakes don't work at all in those wet conditions. We, we hung on with white knuckles and fear-bitten adrenaline all the way down. I've been caught, too, in storms more than once while in a canoe in northern Minnesota, the most severe but not the most recent of which involves striking out into open water while lightning flashed closer than we would like all around us. We were paddling into gale force winds straight ahead. It meant that our best, most strenuous efforts were rewarded with inches at a time of crawling through those waters. We were in serious doubt about the situation ending in anything other than capsizing our little two-person vessel into chilly and scary waters. There are, of course, storms that, that aren't storms of rain and thunder. There are the storms of losing a job, the destructive lightning flash of the death of a loved one, the howling winds of a worst-case diagnosis, the dark skies of an injury and all of its future implications. 
the constant rain of stress and anxiety that can overtake hope with uncertainty and fear. So, so I'm no sailor, and I've never been shipwrecked in the way that we read about today, and I'm, I'm guessing you aren't either. But I think this story is not so much one of being at sea as it is being at the mercy of a storm. And I'll wager that we all know something about that, that we know enough about the power of those storms to be realistic about the destruction that they can wreak in our lives. You see, the story, the, the narrative itself, it, it plays out with one emergency after another. It, it reads to me almost like the plot of a seafaring action movie. They set sail at the tail end of the safe sailing season, so it's ominous from the very beginning. And when the storm does hit, it is one of historic proportions. After days, they sense that they are approaching shallow water. Naturally, it happens at midnight when it's too dark to really know how best to proceed. So they drop anchor and tensely wait for daylight. In that, that night, the ship's crew attempts to flee on a lifeboat only for soldiers to cut the ropes before their scheme can come to fruition. There's a snack break that happens as they wait out the night, and when daylight finally comes, they decide on a desperate course of action. Hoping they can make it, they, they would steer to shore and hope to just run the ship aground. But of course, the plan literally runs aground. It they hit a reef on their way, and the ship begins to break apart. It's the soldiers' turn to consider extreme measures. They propose to kill all the prisoners, but are convinced by one of their own to stay their hands. And so their last option is upon them. Everyone abandoned ship. Whether swimming or holding on to planks or detritus, and in some translations actually saying that they hang on to each other. They make their way to shore, all 276 of them, sailors and soldiers and prisoners alike. And I wonder, I wonder after all that, how they looked at one another on that beach. How they looked at one another as they realized what they had just survived they're covered in sand and salt, well, and salt water, breathless at the ordeal of it. Washed up on an unfamiliar shore that was their salvation. The storm, in a way, had been their equalizer. But what, what would happen now? This season, it makes me think about the fragile ship that can be a Thanksgiving table. That table where a different kind of crew gathers with the potential for stormy weather. I don't know about you, but has Thanksgiving ever been so fraught with the possibility of conversational storms, whether virtual or in person? I don't want to underplay the very real and very complex dynamics of your family. I know that 
those dynamics often carry relationships charged with personal, emotional, critical content. And I've been reflecting lately on the ways in which I have been fooled into letting stormy conversations dictate that they would dictate my relationships rather than rather than my relationships dictating the conversation. Maybe more hopefully that I would aspire to integrate the love we are shown in Christ and the love that my proclaimed relationship with Christ to dictate both my relationships and the tenor of those conversations. I'm not sure when I began to take it so personally that someone might have different opinions than I do. I'm not sure when I began to abdicate God's call to love both friends and enemies, and surely family falls somewhere between the ends of that spectrum, and I would abdicate based on what surely must sound to God as the flimsiest of arguments, that we just don't see eye to eye. And so there around that Thanksgiving table, or really in, in any gathering, just like on that ship that we read about today, there, there are sailors, there are soldiers, there are prisoners, which is to say that there's just always a mix of priorities and failures and agendas at any table. That's not even to, to mention or, or to regard the fears and the losses and the inadequacies and the regrets and the hopes and the failures that sit around that table. And before, before we start to categorize who in your family is the, the prisoner or who's the sailor or who is the soldier, I think we are more faithful. We are more faithful if we can own how each of us is all three given the right circumstance. As much as I might claim the role of prisoner, I am just as often a sailor who's willing, given the chance, to hop in the lifeboat and forsake everyone. Or I can be the soldier, ready to kill off a relationship out of desperation or exhaustion. And so thank God for Paul. Thank God for the voice that insists despite all their differences, that they might actually survive together. To, in fact, insist that they would only survive together. Maybe Paul just realized that if someone died, there was a sense in which none of them would really survive the ordeal, at least not without the consequence of living with the shame of it, which is its own kind of death. I think Paul saw it for what it was. I think he did that because he had a lifetime of learning over and over again that, that God wants us to see the humanity of each other. Or even that loving God necessitates that we see and insist on each other's sacred humanity. It's that we need to question the impulse to judge others or that we just need to stop assuming that we know someone's history we know their plans and their pains, their regrets and their joys and their challenges when we can instead just ask them to share it with us. Maybe you noticed earlier I kind of breezed past that snack break on the ship. 
It's that part where Paul all but forces everyone to stop and eat. Sounding almost like their mother. Paul said this and he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. I'll admit it isn't explicitly communion. But what meal, when shared together in the face of an uncertain future, isn't communion? And what future is ever really all that certain to begin with? Theologian Will Willimon writes that communion is food of confidence shared in the middle of a storm. Sailors and soldiers and prisoners alike, they shared that meal, they shared that communion together And they all took encouragement. I don't want to pretend, I don't want to pretend that all their differences just evaporated or dropped away, but but that shared meal might have reminded them of their shared fate. That while their differences remained real and that while our differences remain real, the seeming import of those differences, which made them and us, in some respects, adversarial, they tended to fade away when we can understand someone to be a fellow traveler with us, that they are subject to the same storms that life brings, or, or maybe as someone that has borne the brunt of storms that I have not. More than that, Rather than seeing each other as adversaries, we might see that the the real adversary is the storm. Or the real adversary is just the fragility of the ship. That in our own inability to see another's life as being as valuable as our own, we, we try to save ourselves. And so we try to lower our own lifeboat thinking Somehow that we're going to be safer in those stormy waters in that little boat by ourselves rather than on the ship with people who just are different than we are. We fail to see that the real goal is and always has been that we would make it to land together rather than as just the lone survivor. Abraham Lincoln is known to have said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. I like the implication that the work to be done is mine and not theirs. That reconciliation begins with and relies upon relationship building. And that the world could use more of that. That the world could use more people willing to insist that we will all survive together. Author Michael Shaben writes, the true scarcity we face is of practicing adults, of people who know how marginal, how fragile, how finite their lives and their stories and their ambitions really are, but who find value in that knowledge, even as a sense of strange comfort because they know their condition is universal and shared. 
I wonder if that's what happened as they ate, listening to that storm rage on that ship. Did they realize how marginal, how fragile, how finite, and how shared their lives were? The the sailors, they, they were tempted to save themselves on the lifeboat. The soldiers were tempted to kill the prisoners, no doubt. No doubt the prisoners were tempted, perhaps, to take over the ship or escape. What stopped them? What stopped them from seizing those temptations? Wisdom? Perspective? Maybe. But according to the text, it ultimately came down to one person's concern and compassion for someone that they didn't entirely agree with. Paul Paul saw that the sailors would be doomed in that raft. And one soldier's interest for Paul made him argue for the lives of all the prisoners. And so I don't know. I don't know ultimately what your life looks like. I don't know what your Thanksgiving is going to look like. For many of us, I'm sure that the celebrations will be smaller than usual. But the temptation within our splintered society vying for survival at the expense of others, that that still looms in a way that feels more real or more consequential this year. For them, when daylight broke, they saw land that they they didn't recognize. But they knew, they knew that it was going to be their salvation if they could just get there, if they could just get there together, swimming and paddling and clinging, they all abandoned the ship. They abandoned all of the thought and all of the plans that they had laid there. Is it too late for us? Is it too late for us to make it to land together? Is it too late to arrive at a place that is at once unfamiliar and new but but also a place that we immediately recognize as salvific. Much like Paul and his companions when they jumped off the boat, I I don't know the answer to those questions. But I hope, I hope that it's not too late. I hope we are willing in light of and not in denial of all our differences to proclaim thanks in this season. I hope I have the courage in the face of whatever storm rages around me, whether in the sea of life or at the shared table of circumstance, that I would insist that no relationship should be sacrificed as a result of my own prejudiced verdict. Maybe, maybe just like them, when they collapsed onto shore, that they were wet and they were exhausted. But true to Paul's word, they were alive together. And that, yes, their differences were still there. And I think, I think in the face of that, they, they must have regarded each other differently. For now, they were survivors together. They were survivors together with a lot of work in front of them. And thank goodness, thank goodness they had all 
eaten something for that journey. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.